0: Thread, a singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. For more information, log on to Quinley.com. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, episode 58. Thread is a verse by verse Bible study for those who are leaders and influencers, so that you're not just uh, saying, what about me, what about me? But your life is focused on other people, and you are at work in your family or at your office or at school or wherever God has you if you lead a ministry, and you are at work to build up and strengthen other people. So Thread is here so we can strengthen you with good scriptural feeding and mind food about, about leadership. And uh, we're coming to the end of the Gospel of Mark. Looking forward to our next uh, book of study, but we've got, some, we've got three really good lessons to end on. And so if you don't have your Bible, run and get it. We're in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. Come right back for Thread. This week's Thread is about the role of women of faith. And about the kind of organization that Jesus built around his ministry. You know, I've been in a lot of different situations in ministry over the years, and I've seen it done, you know, with a different theme and a different tone everywhere. And uh you know, sometimes even sort of up to the ridiculous, where you've got bodyguards around the pastor and they've got his own security detail and all this, you know, army of People have to go everywhere that he goes. And then you've you've got other styles, too. We just want to go now and say, well, how did Jesus do it? Because we're Christians. We're Christians in our doctrine, and we need to be Christians in our lifestyle and in our ministry style. So however Jesus did it, that's what we're supposed to do. We model after him in all ways. Today's thread is particularly focused on uh, the role that women had in the group of disciples that surrounded Jesus and how that he how that he on the one hand affirmed the tradition and the strength that women bring traditionally to all societies and on the other hand he also elevated the women in his circle beyond their traditional boundaries uh, to the next level. It's kind of like with men. You know, you can say a father should be more than just a provider, and that's true. But you can't be more than a provider until you're a provider. So you can't be less than a provider. The scriptures clear on that. So men start with their traditional role and work to provide for their wife and their kids, and then they can go beyond just being a provider. And I think that's sort of the theme and what we see in the way he handles the role of women. All right, well, let's go to Mark chapter 16, verse 1. This is after the crucifixion of Jesus, and it's after Joseph of Arimathea has gone to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. It's after he has quickly washed him and wrapped him in linen and carried him to the tomb and and had other men with him roll a huge stone against the door. Now we start that on the day uh, after the Sabbath, chapter 16 verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting at the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Um, let's look at this uh, piece by piece. Number one, verses one through three, what I hope you see is a tight inner circle of women these women have a gift. They have very high giftings in care and nurture. And the environment that Jesus built around his ministry team was was not one like a sports team, you know, that's built on achievement and is a driven team. Now he was achieving what no one had ever done. And yet the 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 feeling in his group is about nurture. It's about care. He is in his In his core, he's a shepherd, and he wants to make absolutely certain that all of his sheep are taken care of. Uh, Somebody uh, helped me years ago. I've probably used this more than once already in, in thread, but it's just that good. He was actually a blind pastor of a friend of mine, but he had so much insight. He said, the things that you work on institutionally, no matter how hard you put yourself into it, Those things can be torn down in six months by your successor, but what you do in the lives of individuals can never be taken away. And I think Jesus understood that very clearly, and some of us need to understand it, because if you're not careful, you can get so focused on building your organization that you start to have uh, what we might call the institutional use of persons. So you don't see people as people. You're not nurturing them as people. You see them as someone to fill a role, and you know you're expecting uh, them to do their job at the highest level, and then you just get rid of them if they don't. But you know it's it's not the right atmosphere, not for ministry, and it's not the kind of setting that Jesus established. Because in his inner circle, it was a lot more familial than it was institutional, and it's just the tone but it's an important tone and it's something I've really loved about asia is that you know you you end up in relationships and their cultures are familial and so instinctively you know you become uncle chuck uh, aunt sherry and i like that i think it's important and it also helps me understand that the way i treat people has to be the way i would treat in a family not even if someone is my employee and even if they have a job to do, and they, they really do have to do their job, but my handling of them uh, in even the work environment should should feel more like a family. Uh, these women have gone together. They're a, they're a cluster, and Jesus encouraged clusters. He didn't try to make everyone in his group one huge circle because he knew that that's just not the nature of human relationships. These women were friends and they were together on the mission now to go and uh, anoint the body of Jesus. Practical. These women had practical concerns, and uh, I've got a wife like this. Sherry is, um, you know, I'm thinking about, a lot of times, uh, organizational concepts and structure and ways to expand. I'm always into expansion and new and planting things, and she's seeing the the layer in that, in that movement that relates to people and uh, who's going to be, you know, where do people sleep? If we're going on this invasion, you know, big missions thing, where are they going to sleep and what, when are they going to eat? And, you know, she's taking care of the soldiers, and it's huge. And I just thank God that I have somebody in my life and Jesus understood he didn't just have a bunch of men out camping all the time. He had this circle of women, and they traveled wherever his men traveled, and they took care. They were the mothers in the group, and he honored that role. Uh, verse four, we see an angel. The angel is in um, human form. Uh, I don't really know, you know, angels seem to always have a form that seems sort of human. Uh, but with uh, you know some extra dimensions to them. In this case, this angel just appears to be a young man. He's very unassuming, and that's important because the spotlight is not supposed to be on the angel. The spotlight, especially in this case, is on the biggest event in the history of the world. The spotlight is on Jesus Christ, and the angel just sits there silently, unassumingly. He doesn't hit them with a burst of glory and say, I am Gabriel. You know, he says, this is about Jesus, and he points to Jesus. Now, this angel is focused, in verse 4, he's got really three things that, that appear to be at the heart of his mission. Number one, he is to bring the news accurately. The word angel means messenger in English. And so the angel is sent by God because he has a message to deliver, and the best way to deliver it is not a thought in our mind or anything else that there are certain messages that God wants delivered in person and so he sends an angel to look you in the eye and say the thing that God wants to say to you and that has happened all through scripture and it, it has continued to happen in history since scripture um this angel brings news the news is you are seeking Jesus of Nazareth he was crucified he is no longer dead. He is alive, and he is he has risen, and he has gone somewhere, and he is going somewhere, and I can tell you where he's going, and you're to go and organize things because of this. So the angel is bringing news, accurate news. The second thing this angel wants to do is to cause these women, because they're, they are the first witnesses, cause these women to verify their facts. He tells them, Look, come over here and look. I want you to look at the slab where his body was laid, because uh, these women had been there. At least we know that the two Marys were there. From chapter fifteen, verse forty-seven, they watched Jesus being placed in the tomb. They knew exactly where he was, and they saw, you know, how that how his body was placed inside. And this angel says, "This is about facts, and you need to verify." The facts of this event. This is really, really crucial. And I don't think a lot of Christians have pondered this enough. Christianity is not based on a philosophy about who God is and how people should be with each other and the meaning of life. And it has all of that, but that's not the basis of Christianity is history. It's factual. Christianity is based on historic events, things that really happened in the world, not an enlightenment that we think someone may have gotten or a thought or a series of uh, reasonings that they give us that sound good to us. Christianity is based on the following. There really are people called Jews, and they live in Palestine as an area. In the first century, there really was a man named Jesus. He is a historical figure. He was born. His mother's name was Mary. He uh, he was raised up by God as a prophet. He preached throughout the land. He was really, really killed under the rule of Pontius Pilate. He was killed by crucifixion. His body really died. All the blood was gone from his body. It was pierced with a spear from a soldier. His heart had already ruptured. Blood was coagulated. Water flowed out. He was dead and cold. He was put in a tomb. He was sealed in the tomb. On the third day, his body came back to life, not as a spirit, not as a vapor, not that some think they might have seen him as a shadow. His body came back to life and walked out of the tomb. He had no blood in him, but his body came back to life. And for about six weeks, he lived on the earth talking with his disciples. He he went with them where there was food. He, he, he hung out with them. He journeyed with them. He was with his disciples for about six weeks, and then he ascended up into heaven, and he is still alive, and he rules over the earth, and his rule is growing, and he will come literally, physically, back to earth and become the king forever. That's, those are doctrines of Christianity, and they're not built on my opinion versus you and your opinion. They're historical details, and we need to verify our facts. That's why we have four Gospels, not one, and they, they will differ a little bit in their, um, in their reporting of an event that happened in the ministry of Jesus, and you should celebrate the fact that it's different, because if every single thing, if we just had four photocopied uh, witnesses, that doesn't prove a thing. But if you were in a crowd and something happened and the police pulled four people out from different places and asked them to recount what they saw, they would see basically the same thing, but with variations in their detail, depending on their perspectives. So it's, it's normal that the Gospels have a little bit of difference in them, and it's, it's a healthy part, and it lets you know that these are four witnesses. It's history. We're dealing with history. And these women were being allowed to do what they would never be allowed to do in a court of law, and that is be, uh, be a witness about the facts, about historic facts. And the angels very clear that they need to take a moment and verify the facts of what's going on. Then thirdly, he's focused that they know what to do now. Now that you know this new truth and you have this new revelation from God, you need to apply it. There are things you need to do. And, you know, that's really the point of God's Word. It's a point of revelation. Whether you get a dream from God or you read something in the Word or you hear somebody uh, say something and you know that was from the Lord for you, we're supposed to do something with it. That's the whole point, not to hear it, but to act upon it. So he tells them, okay, now that you've checked the facts and now that I have brought you a message from God, I need you to do something about it. You need to go find the disciples and tell them what you saw. Tell them the details of what you have witnessed. And so they ran off to do that. Now, if you notice, in verse 7, God is very concerned about Simon Peter because Peter has failed the Lord miserably. He loved the Lord so much, but in his panic and his fear, he has denied Christ three times. And now Peter is just beating himself up for this. And the Father says, through the angel, be sure that you go tell Peter that God wants him especially to get this message that they can go to Galilee because they're going to see the Lord back in, their, back in the other part of the country. Um, Jesus is headed to Galilee. Tell Peter, be sure Peter knows because God cares about Peter's condition as the leader, the group needs Peter to be a strong leader. They need him to quit um, condemning himself. They need him to shake it off, get back, you know, get back on the horse and start leading this group. Uh, Resume his position. We all fail at different times in our life and Peter has now failed miserably and will tell his own failure story for the rest of his life as a testament of God's grace. But you know, God cares, and Peter's not disqualified. He's God wants him back as a leader. Now, the group fled in verse 8, uh, but Mary returned in verse 9. Her soul was very attached to Christ, and, you, you know, you see this in the church still. There are a lot of people in church, and, and they have different, uh, f- what would we say, different degrees of emotional bonding, I guess with everybody, but even with the Lord. And you meet some people though in the church, and it's such a sweet emotional bond, you know, a godly affection. They love the Lord. They don't just serve God as a servant and as you know, they love the Lord. It's emotional for them. They're connected. And Mary is is actually noted for her emotional connection to Jesus. And, you know, we've done a lot of things through history with that that piece of information, that characteristic of her. And a lot of people have made her, you know, a Hollywood bombshell and this beautiful young woman that's in love with him. Probably she was an older woman because every time her companions are mentioned, they are his mother's age, and you tend to hang out with people your own age. So we can assume she was actually an older than him, maybe even old enough to be his mother. But she was a woman that had been tormented, absolutely Tormented by seven demons that took over her, took over her personality, that just drove her life, and just the horror and the misery of a life with seven demons ruling you. And Jesus cast those demons out of her, and she was so grateful to the Lord. She lived for no one but Him. She was loyal to the death. And if you want a longer story of this, uh, longer telling of this story, you can go to John chapter 20 and we see that uh, Mary was the very first one to actually speak with Christ she was after his resurrection she was a steadfast disciple of Jesus Christ she was the first witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and she runs to the house of mourning where all the people are gathered to cry and wail and lament the death of Jesus and she breaks up that that meeting, and she tells them what she has seen uh, verse eleven says, but they didn't believe her. Um, this is a huge role for women, you know uh, as I said, Jesus affirmed their traditional roles, but now he's using women as witnesses weren't allowed to do that in a court it'll go on from there you'll see women now in the upper room, women there on the day of Pentecost, women being filled with charismatic gifts, women functioning in the New Testament, like Acts 21 verse 9, where Philip has four daughters who are, are full of gifts of prophecy, and they are, they're female prophets. And how God is using, you know, a lot of times people get hung up on uh, uh, Paul's instructions really about women in authority and women with power over men. That's what he's wrestling against. But Paul uh, acknowledges the role of women as prophets, women as uh, under charismatic anointings from the Holy Spirit and the just the amazing giftedness that women have. I know in my own life there's just so many godly women that have had as much, if not a greater influence than the men in my life have had. Uh, my own, I have great parents in the Lord, and in life they're the same. My mom and dad are solid Christians, have always been, Really good example to me. My mother took such good care and still does take good care of me. Uh, as a young Christian, and, and then as a young um, someone who wanted to be in the ministry, uh, I traveled for a season with a female um, evangelist. Uh, her name was Elaine Ostrom, and there was an earnestness in her and a, a, a passion for the Lord. I saw that, and it affected me in a very positive way. Sherry and I got married. We went to Jamaica, and the the leading figure in the little church that we took over there is Sister Mavis Reed, and Sister Reed for, at that time, 25 years, now probably closing more like 45 years, uh, every single Wednesday has gathered a group for fasting and prayer, and she is a wise woman and a powerful woman in prayer. And if you can just imagine if you fasted every single week for 50 years, you know what does that do for building spiritual muscle in you? You know, Sister Reed is a powerful influence in our life, even to this day. We went to the Philippines. We planted a church that grew to be a very large church. And a lot of the work in that church, I had awesome elders. But for every elder, I had the elder's wife who... Bore an equal load. These were women of great sacrifice. Women who loved others. They weren't busybodies. They were they were busy, but they were busy building up other people and pouring their lives into other people. And they are still there today. Uh, those that haven't moved to other countries, uh, you know, now in Thailand, I look at my ministry team, and over half of the team there is also female. And it's you know it's, it's it has always been like this. Most of the missionaries planning house churches in China are women. Most missionaries in history have been women. And God, you know, from the very beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, women are there. They're there in prominence, and God's hand is on women. And we want to uh, acknowledge that today, and we want to celebrate every good thing that God is doing through the lives of women around the world. So, uh, ladies who are listening, uh, I just pray God's blessings on you this week, that you'll be anointed and encouraged, that God has a role for you, and his role is one of great power and one of great anointing, and he will give you influence in the lives of others, and you can shape lives. And men, why don't we think of uh, something we can do? Have you ever really thought about the women that have changed your life? Uh, this is a good week, maybe for all of us, to contact somebody that God has used, you know, some woman that God has put in, in our life story, and to just thank her for what she did in your life. Uh, it'll be a great encouragement to her, and it'd be a, it's a good thing for us to do is remember those who helped us to get where we're at today. Well, that's all for now. And if you want to contact me directly, you can just email me, Chuck, at Quinley.com. I would love to hear from you. That's all for this time. We'll see you in our next episode of Threads.